This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Warren, Rhode Island, where today is Sunday, August 15th, 2021. And today on the program, we will discuss TV ratings, AEW Rampage just happened Friday night, SmackDown happened that night too. We don't have real numbers yet, but we'll talk about what the real numbers might be. The controversy surrounding the the SmackDown number. Uh, we have live events to go through to discuss what the, I think we're on the fourth week of the return to touring. The follow-up of the latest turmoil as it relates to WWE Developmental and NXT. The Roads to the Top reality show debuts on Dynamite next month. Heels debuts tonight as we record this. And something big, something, something big might be happening uh, this coming Friday for the second episode of Rampage. All that and more today on the program. But first... Joining us to my, my God, I've got to recalculate and recalibrate my cardinal directions. Coming to you uh, from my south by southeast, from South Buffalo, he is everyone's favorite ring announcer. He is an independent wrestling historian. He is clean shaven today. The one and only Chris Chris Jello. <laughs> do, you, do you remember my Chris Jello impressions I used to do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Chris Gullo joins us to discuss all the latest professional wrestling business news. Hello, yeah, Chris Gullo. I'm cl- clean shaven. I'm rebooting the beard since I don't have a booking for three weeks, so figured I'd shave off and reboot it. Yes. What have you been up to this uh, in this this time since we talked last, Chris Gullo? It's been a very quiet, uh, quiet weekend. I mean, I did some stand-up comedy on... Friday evening, and uh, you went head to head with AEW Rampage. I heard. Well, technically, no, because I went on stage before ten o'clock. I was head to head with the second hour SmackDown. Okay, so you were so you you were, you are part of the um, the pro AEW co opted media here. You were you were doing what you could to take a bite out of the the, the WWE competition that that uh, people keep people just keep comparing AEW to WWE for some reason. I am here in Rhode Island this weekend for a wedding. At a, uh, a, this is a, a social gathering. Yes, social gatherings tend to be difficult. People are being very nice and understanding to me, though. Everyone is now out on a boat somewhere. They've left me in this house all by myself. I am now in a, in a closet that is bigger than, than some people's homes, probably. Um, I'm in some, I don't know, very well to do, like, we're near Providence. I don't know. Is it an Airbnb or someone no, in the family's ho- or no, house? No, this is girlfriend's family's house. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're doing all right, let's say. And now they're out on a boat. Uh, every, I I am I am the weird, quiet uh, person who uh, had, had that's my main feature. Is I have a podcast that I need to do uh, right now. There has been discussion of an upcoming sponsor that we're going to have 
on the program. And uh, I think next week we will be reading for that sponsor. Um, bringing up uh, how niche, not just wrestling is, but the business of wrestling. And yes, we do have 180 some odd patrons that actually pay money for this. Yes, I'm a strange artifact of humanity. <laughs> but anyway, you told me that you're drinking a cucumber watermelon juice. Yes, from Trader Joe's. You do you have do we have a Trader Joe's in Buffalo other than the one uh, on Niagara Falls Boulevard and Consumer Hell? Just the one on Niagara Falls Boulevard, but it's so you work. go from South Buffalo to the Trader Joe's in Amherst. Well, no, I work in Amherst, so I go after work. You work. That's right. Okay, we did pick you up yeah. at work that one time, and that is pretty close to Trader Joe's. Okay, but what are the highlights in the world of professional wrestling business lately, Chris Gallo? Um, well, this was a pretty uh, crazy Friday night. Uh, we'll get right into it as we had our first Friday night. You know, it, it's not a war because they're not going head to head, but you know, Friday night double feature, you could say, with SmackDown followed by AEW Rampage, and uh, um, we do have, I believe, a SmackDown overnight. Brandon, we have a SmackDown overnight. It is exceptionally high. Um, so I've been. Doing some uh, research, I've been informed by someone who's very familiar with uh, with with Nielsen ratings. Um, I'm getting my terminology sorted out. Um, I don't know that overnight is is a is is the industry preferred standard term for what we're talking about. When we talk about these these SmackDown ratings, we're talking about the the ratings that we get the following day or morning or early afternoon. For what was on broadcast TV, those, my understanding is, are called fast affiliate ratings. I, I take it fast affiliates because they come from uh, the local broadcast affiliates for your ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, CW. Uh, no such thing exists for, for cable ratings. However, one could, if one was so inclined and had lots of money, if you're an enterprise like Turner or NBCU or Fox, you could order what's called a fast national, which may be a term that some people are familiar with or have heard used and possibly misused. So these overnights that we talk about each week for SmackDown are not fast nationals. A fast national is something that someone, usually who's already a Nielsen subscriber, uh, make they make a request to Nielsen, and, and it's not free. It's thousands of dollars that they have to pay to make this request to get this information. So say if I'm, say if I'm in, I'm, uh, Turner and I, I want to know what the rating was uh, on Saturday for uh, for Rampage the night before on Friday, which which is quite plausible. But apparently, if they've done that, they haven't put out a press release to public publicize what the rating was. But I can pay uh, a few thousand dollars to get the fast national ahead of schedule um, if it's important to me, you know, for for public relations reasons or something like that. Um, no such thing apparently has happened, or at least if, they, if it has happened, there has been a press release put out for Rampage. Um, maybe that'll happen next week, um, as perhaps CM Punk is debuted in, in AEW. But, um, so what we have here, as I get to the point, we have fast affiliates for SmackDown. Now, if we look at the fast affiliate rating, we have it, we have it from Spoiler TV, uh, for all of the, all of the network primetime uh, airings from 8 to 11. And uh, what we see here is is for SmackDown, it lists 2.575 million viewers for Hour 1, 2.422 million viewers for Hour 2. That averages out to, I think, 
2.499. So basically two and a half million viewers for SmackDown is the measurement. Usually the fast affiliate for SmackDown is about 6% lower than the final. Uh, usually SmackDown these days is just over 2 million viewers. This would be a huge rating for SmackDown if SmackDown was watched by two and a half million viewers or a little bit more. If the, you know, if the usual discrepancy is, is, is applicable. Now, what happened though on Friday night on, on Fox networks in at least 15 markets, I've been told maybe as many as 18 markets. There was in fact NFL preseason games airing on Fox. So I believe what we have here is the eight to 10 measurement of viewership extrapolated from the fast affiliates on, you know, onto what, what the viewing was like on Fox from eight to 10. Many of this, much of this viewing though is not for SmackDown, but for, uh, NFL games. So the Bills played what the Lions and, and the Titans played as the Falcons, I think, on, uh, on various Fox affiliates. I've tweeted, uh, some information about this if you want to read it over for yourself. Um, I understand Dave Meltzer is embroiled in controversy with people on Twitter, uh, as he's downplaying and I'm downplaying, uh, the likelihood that, that this is reflective of the real rating for SmackDown. On Monday, we will get the final rating. We'll get the final rating for Rampage as well. Um, I expect it to be, if anything, maybe a little bit lower than usual for SmackDown just by virtue of, of the preemptions that, that various Fox affiliates faced. Uh, SmackDown, I understand, did air at midnight or sometime after the, the NFL game in some of the markets where it was preempted. Uh, the Nielsen final should aggregate all of that SmackDown viewing and sort that into one. So there's, there's nothing really being missed. But, but then again, you know, your viewership preempted to midnight is going to be substantially lower in that market than it would be if it, if it aired in the normal time slot. So I would expect a number around 2 million, uh, pretty close to 2 million when we, when we see the final on Monday. Uh, I will probably be the, be the person to, uh, to report this. I've already been thinking ahead. I'm leaving. I'm starting to drive, drive home tomorrow and, uh, I'm going to have to like pull over at a rest stop at like 4 PM Eastern and, uh, and, and do some reporting from a, from a rest stop or something on the interstate 90. So I look forward to that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be tremendous reaction, at least on Twitter, uh, among, among some readers for the rampage number, whatever that's going to be. Uh, I guess we can talk about this, uh, quickly. I have, uh, this is not in your slides, Gullo, but uh, if you look at our OBS virtual camera, for what it's worth, and I don't know how to gauge this, what it really is worth, but the, the Google web search for for the the, um, the profile All Elite Wrestling, which encompasses uh, a lot of related searches that, that Google and its algorithmic wisdom determines to be related to All Elite Wrestling, the, uh, you know, through Google Trends, we get an index. We don't get real units of measurement. We get, a, we get an index relative to the peak within the timeline that you're looking at. So I looked at the past seven days, which would include, uh, Friday and it includes Wednesday and the, you know, the seven, seven days before Sunday as we record today. So anyway, we get the peak for all elite wrestling related Google web search, both us and, uh, United States or both United States and worldwide is at 10 PM Eastern, uh, on Friday. So Google web search peaked well above on Friday, uh, relative to what it did on Wednesday. Suffice to say, there's, there was more Googling related to AW happening on Friday night than there was on Wednesday night for whatever that means. Um, that's at least encouraging of the notion of a high rating for rampage. If, if, if the roles, you know, if, if the roles were reversed and, and the Wednesday night 
Googling was higher than the Friday night Googling, I would think that, oh, well, definitely the, uh, the Dynamite rating is higher than the Rampage rating. Um, the Dynamite rating may still be higher than the Rampage rating. I'm not really sure what this means, but it's at least, um, it's supportive of some optimism at, the, at a minimum. Um, the predictions that I have made and that we have made on this program, I think we made some predictions last week of around, I don't know, 670,000 viewers or something like that. I think we did. I think I, I just took the, the one hour Friday dynamites and I multiplied it by, uh, by 1.2, basically assuming a 20% jump on, on those numbers. Um, these, this situation will be benefited too in terms of it wasn't faced by uh, NBA playoffs competition like, uh, the Friday night dynamites were. But uh, we will see. I w- yeah, I would think anything, if it is over over 700,000, that would be quite impressive. Obviously, a, uh, it would be v- very newsworthy if this did a dynamite-like number at 10 o'clock. If it did, let's say, 800 or 900,000 viewers, I would be shocked if it did a million. But um, I would expect... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, no, I, I, I would be I shocked. I was just saying that. Go ahead. No, you. No, you. No, you go. No, you go. <laughs> I was just saying that I. Uh, I'm really interested in the quarter hours on this when it comes out because they did almost a Saturday Night Main Event style where they let off with really would be the marquee matchup mm-hmm. um, of Kenny Omega versus Christian uh, for the Impact World Title. So I, I, I thought that was interesting and I, I thought it was a good booking choice mm-hmm. um, to start off with the marquee match because as we know, w- Saturday Night Main Event used to do that back in the '80s. Where they'd start with the marquee match, so yeah, you're reminding me that I'm probably going to have to deal with quarter hours too <laughs> on, yeah. on late Monday night. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see the quarter hours. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because usually, so what's been happening lately is that you know the Observer has always gotten the quarter hours and have often, almost always, been the first report of the quarter hours uh, on, on occasion, and especially lately, I've been able to get the, the quarter hours out there first, but we'll, we'll see if I'm able to obtain them. Uh, the observer, as, as many people know, comes out, uh, very early Friday. So obviously the observer won't be coming out until, until much later in the week. So who knows, who knows what, what will be possible in the world of wrestling journalism, but I will do my best. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, do you, so I, I guess you think maybe, does the, the Omega and Christian match do better? Yeah, and, and as time goes on later into the night, especially when, when it's that late, uh, the, the, the segments that are later in the program are probably at a disadvantage in terms of just people turning the TV off and, and going to sleep. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see if the Britt Baker and Red Velvet match did, did close, equal, or better than that opening match. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's kind of what you're getting at there maybe, or it's, but that's, what yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very really interested because, you know, with a show that late, you know, viewership tends to decline later mm-hmm. as the hour goes on. Yeah. Which is an excuse that we, we never make for, for raw Dewey is that, Oh, the third hour drop was tremendous and the show is supposed to build. So maybe, maybe we should balance that when we talk about, you know, the three hour raw that, that is, you know, going from the third hour going from 10 to 11. Um, but yeah, as, uh, as I'm sure people know, we're not going to review Rampage here, but uh, uh, Britt Baker going over strong in her hometown of Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. Uh, an, an interesting creative choice on the part of AEW to put someone over in their hometown on a one-hour show. I don't, I don't know what the challenge is of that, pal, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're not going to tear somebody down to build them back up I don't, and, and only do a one-hour show instead of a three-hour show, I don't really see what the, the challenge is in that. But nonetheless... That is what and use it to debut to somebody too. <laughs> How dare they? 
You talking about Jamie Hader's debut? Yeah. Yes. Well, technically a re-debut because I know she Return. went there back in the beginning, but yeah. Yeah. In any event, uh, not to jump ahead, I guess, uh, and we do have this on the on the on the uh, the slides here. Uh, I don't know that that the video is going to end up being used here, but yeah, we have. Uh, I believe this is from 406sports.com, where we have various markets that that preempted SmackDown uh, on Fox. Uh, as you would imagine, it's it's a lot of Tennessee, Georgia, and Michigan. Here in Buffalo, or not here in Buffalo, but there in Buffalo where you are, uh, it was on the CBS affiliate, our Channel Four. So, but anyway, uh, more ratings, I guess. Yeah, real quick though, just to touch on that, you know, you'll hear the some people will say, "Oh, it's just the Hall of Fame." I mean, it's just preseason or whatever. Um, so the Hall of Fame game, which is a preseason game mm-hmm. that aired not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, uh, I think it did seven point three million viewers uh, on Fox. Now the week after the Field of Dreams game mm-hmm. did about as a baseball about, game. Yeah, it did about five point seven. So. Okay. And I heard the, the Hall of Fame ceremony itself did better than usual in prior years for the NFL Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, P- I don't Pete know Manning's in, that, induction, but... people were telling me, you know, and I, and I was responding to that by saying, well, the, the, the numbers were up because Peyton Manning, how, how tall is Peyton Manning? <laughs> He's six foot five. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pro- proving once again that tall people are a draw in this business. But, in any event. All right. <laughs> Speaking of this business, uh, we'll, we'll we'll touch on the SmackDown the week before Friday, August sixth, uh, 2.169 uh, million with a point uh, six one in the eighteen to forty nine, so up from July thirtieth, which did a little over two million with a point five seven to eighteen to forty nine. So mm-hmm. a little increase for SmackDown there uh, prior to the week before. Mm-hmm. Moving on, yeah, we, that's. A very old rating at this point, so we don't need to get into that. Uh, Monday Night Raw uh, on, on August uh, 9th doing 1.790 million with a 0. .49 in the 1849. Very slightly down from August 2nd, which did 1.8 in the 1849. I'm sorry, 1.8 overall. And mm-hmm. in the 1849, they did 0.51. Yeah, and, and do we have here in our slides the year over year comp? We do. So if I jump to, to Raw, maybe we can do this for SmackDown too. But we're still uh, Raw still doing above. Now I'm, I'm looking at total viewership. And I, ma- I imagine Key Demo is similar, uh, but uh, Raw still doing a level above where it was doing the year before. Uh, SmackDown still doing a little bit better uh, relative to Raw than it was the year before. We are we're coming up though on on year over year comps to the Thunderdome era. We are still in year over year comps on the PC era. Believe it or not, a year ago, we were at the tail end of the PC era. Um, and we are still in a sequential comparison. Uh, Raw and SmackDown are doing considerably better than the end of the Thunderdome era. So there are those things. I've been doing lately, uh, Chris Gull, I don't know if you're aware, I've been doing this these Thursday Thursday evening um, yes. ratings, ratings discussions. So... I, I don't know what we should do here as far as maybe we should condense these these discussions so it's not just redundant things for the listeners. But but there you go. Uh, Raw and SmackDown are not knocking it out of the park with huge ratings with return fans, but they're doing they're doing better than they were without fans, for sure. You can make a quantitative argument to say that. All right. Uh, we'll move on to Dynamite uh, from Wednesday, August 11th. It uh, 
979,000. So falling under a million for the first time in a few weeks with a 0.35 in 18 to 49 compared to the week before 1.1 million with a 0.46 in 18 to 49. Mm-hmm. Dynamite's rating was down. Um, there's there was no competition now from from the Olympics. I guess for all of these these programs that we're talking about, the Olympics ended a week ago today. Um, and you would think that uh, you know this was after a four week streak with AEW doing over a million viewers total, over five hundred thousand viewers, eighteen forty nine, and slipping under both of those milestones this past Wednesday. Uh, there's really really nothing that's a difference here except for the content. Um, Wasn't it the return of the challenge? I'm sorry. Thank you. It was the return of the challenge. AEW ranked, and I think this is information that I didn't know when I did my ratings talk on Thursday night. The return of the challenge was was there. Uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills also beat out Dynamite in the 18 to 49 demo. In, and you know what else beat out Dynamite in the 18 to 49 demo? Did, do you, have you uh, have you read this on my Twitter yet, Golo? Do you know you know what I'm uh, talking about here? Uh. No, because, I mean, I saw a lot of chatter about the challenge, but... So the challenge won in the demo on the day in, on cable, for cable, for cable, okay? Uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on Bravo, number two. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter and then had a, a, uh, a Bravo fan ask me what the viewership actually was. <laughs> and and I, and, I, and I informed this person, and it, it dawned on me, maybe this is my opportunity to pivot into Real Housewives uh, Twitter, perhaps. In any event, uh, yeah. And, and then two two other episodes. So those are Cable Originals. Those were both first runs for the challenge and for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Uh, AEW ranked number three in terms of Cable Originals, but number five overall when you include things that are not first run. And do you know what... T- take a guess. I'll give you one guess of what these two programs were. They were two episodes of the same pro same series. The big bang theory, the big bang theory on TBS (laughs) had more viewers. These are half hour episodes granted, but had more viewers in the 1849 demo than AEW dynamite, uh, which as you can imagine, encouraged some interesting quote tweets in any event. (laughs) All right. Uh, 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 and you actually, we actually have quarter by uh, quarter breakdowns of this yes, uh, dynamite can. rating. Yes, we can uh, touch on that. I'm always hesitant to talk in too much in too much of a conclusive manner about what the quarter hours mean. But the peak for total viewership was the main event with Chris Jericho and Wardlow. The peak for 18 to 49 was very close between <clears throat> quarter four, which included the end of Dana Garcia and Darby Allen. That also include the beginning of the uh, Matt Hardy and Private Party versus Best Friends Six Man. So there was that one. That was Q4. But then also Q6 was 1,000 lower than that at 466,000. The other segment, the other quarter, I should say, was 467,000. Uh, but Q6 with 466,000 viewers. Uh, that was the the Britt Baker Live promo with Red Velvet's running. There were some packages for uh, Ricky, Starks, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage's feud, and then there was the beginning of the Good Brothers versus Evil Uno and Stu Grayson match. Uh, 1849 was pretty consistent. There, there aren't. I'm, I'm looking at this on a on a line chart, right, where the 1849 is the is the uh, the metric that has the, the lower numbers. So just visually, it looks like there's less volatility here. But even so, 
the the low point was the opening segment with 460 or 436,000 viewers and the high point again was 467. So we're talking about like a 30,000 viewer range here. Um, total viewership, uh, there were two segments, the main event and uh, the, the Britt Baker Red Velvet segment that did over a million. Um, I don't see huge takeaways, except for to say, you know, Chris Jericho had another strong uh, main event, uh, at least with total viewership. His, uh, his Nick Gage match and the Domino's controversy, that, that did well in viewership uh, in real time as well. So that's the quarter hours. All right. And then I know you also actually prepared some uh, uh, ch- charts, uh, more so like a spreadsheet of the quarter to quarter growth and loss of Dynamite, as well as viewer counts in the thousands by quarter. Yeah. The um, the biggest, the, the quarter that gained the most viewers was the the second quarter that had the end of the, the six-man tag match between the Elite, the Seidel brothers, and Dante Martin. So... Um, that had the last four minutes of that six-man tag that opened the show. And then it had the, the angle, the live Mike promo angle with, with Christian Cage and Jurassic Express, um, as well as a Malachi Black pre-tape that I think actually ended and, and then finished in the following quarter, uh, or began and then finished in the following quarter. But uh, that had by far the most growth sequentially. Uh, it grew. It was the segment. It was the quarter that sequentially saw the most growth over the most demographics. Uh, it was the highest growing quarter for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven demographics, um, including total viewership and 18 to 49. So I think, I think we kind of saw this too in the elimination match uh, a week or two ago in that if you, they, they opened the show with um, a match that ended in the following quarter and that, that led to a lot of growth. Um, in the following quarter. And, and the first quarter is always k- kind of unpredictable and, and volatile because you could have a big checkout factor from Q1 to Q2 if the lead-in was really strong or stronger than usual and you've got a lot of people who aren't necessarily interested in, in watching AW who leave the show. Or if you've got, who knows, you've got a weaker-than-usual lead-in. Um, then, you, then you don't start out with a stronger audience and then you end up uh, maybe gaining from there. And we, we never get any real data on, on the lead-in, and they're not cable originals, so their numbers are harder to find anyway. Uh, and it's a 7 p.m., you know, whatever the movie is on, uh, before, uh, before Dynamite. Um, so that's always an unpredictable factor. And another reason why it's, I think, difficult to, to analyze and to draw strong conclusions from, from quarter hours. All right. And uh, we'll, we'll touch on uh, we do uh, the Impact. impact. Yeah, that actually went against that Field of Dreams game we talked about before. Uh, but yeah, impacted 122,000 with a .04 in the 18 to 49. Uh, last week, 100,000 even with .04 in the 18 to 49. So, yeah, so 122,000. This is we had Christian Cage on here on this show, and I believe Kenny Omega as well. Um, this is a better than usual number for impact. The 18 to 49, still pretty low. Uh, but there was a time you know, a few months ago where Impact was hovering around 150,000 viewers. So this is still substantially lower than what they were doing a few months ago. Uh, if you want to look at what the, the peak it is that they're they're possibly capable of, the, uh, the Kenny Omega episode where he had his first appearance way back in December. If I scroll and scroll and scroll through our WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, the, uh, the December 8th episode of Impact did 222 
thousand viewers. So one hundred thousand more viewers than this episode did at one hundred and twenty-two thousand viewers. Um, the demos are super volatile because the numbers are so small. So I'm I'm hesitant to to do too much thinking about these demos where we've got like four thousand viewers in eighteen to thirty-four. Another zero measurement for female viewers, eighteen to thirty-four. Uh, but uh, you know the demo. Not doing great here at 48,000 viewers. That's equivalent to a 0 0.04. And that, but then again, that's within the range of what Impact has been doing for a long time in the key demo. And yet again, on the other hand, we're dealing with, you know, an, an audience that's measuring under 100,000 viewers in this demo. It's hard to, you know, it's, it's being determined by a Nielsen sample that is, uh, you know, it's smaller. So then the result is going to be more volatile. The, the total viewership would be less volatile, one would think, because it just, it's a, by virtue of being a bigger number. And the total viewership over time for Impact, uh, has been generally on the decline. All right. And then uh, I know you, you kind of did an 18 to 49 graph chart with, uh, with all five shows. Oh, no, we got NXT. Totally forgot about the NXT rating. Yeah. Uh, so NXT did a lot. <laughs> NXT did a, did a pretty good number. I wonder if it's out of curiosity. Um, yeah, seven hundred fifty-one thousand point nineteen at eighteen to forty-nine. Uh, right. Compared to when they were on Sci-Fi the week before, five hundred twenty thousand at point ten. So yeah, back end USA, nice jump. So they were on Sci-Fi for two weeks, and you just kind of throw those numbers away. But the last time they were on USA, which is on July twentieth, they did seven hundred nine thousand. Uh, the week before that, they did 705,000. So they've been, and well, the week before that, they did 640 or 654,000. So this was the, the biggest NXT number since May 4th. Um, the key demo, uh, did, did, did within the range of what they had been doing, though, the last time they were on, uh, they were on USA Network at 244,000 viewers, which is the equivalent of a 0.19 rating. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's, uh, related to, the news stories and just people having NXT a little bit more top of mind um, and, and checking it out. Uh, the the younger demos though did did exceptionally well uh, for this episode compared to the last time they were on on USA. So this week, 105,000 viewers on average between the ages of 18 to 34. The last time they're on USA, 65,000. So again, 105. Last time they're on USA, 65. So almost doubling. I wonder if it's you know, this, this is, this is, we're getting into the realm of being tempted to make conclusions, I think. But, uh, I, I wonder if, you know, if the, the more news aware wrestling fan tends to be younger and maybe, or maybe tends to, certainly they tend to consume media in ways that are not measured by linear TV viewership. And then maybe they're just for some reason more compelled to, to, to check it out and ended up checking out more, you know, ended up checking out through, traditional TV viewership uh, means rather than, I don't know, other ways uh, like, you know, the it's still on Hulu, right? And, or uh, YouTube clips or whatever, or just, uh, you know, monitoring the monitoring social media. Um, but it is interesting that uh, the show did, did so much better than usual. I, I even ha I have seen quarters and I think it was, it was pretty consistent across the board and even ha saw some growth in, uh, in the main event related to uh, relative to the rest of the show. So it was not as if people tuned in at the beginning and then checked out. Uh, there was some, some consistency with the viewership. Um, so there's that. We'll see what happens next week. If it's just sort of a, a one week check in, I've, I've heard uh, NXT is in turmoil. So I'm going to see what it's, what it's like. And, uh, and maybe people will forget about it as, as that 
news story cools off uh, from the top of the mind of, of, of wrestling fans. All right. Yeah. Like I said, you got these, uh, uh, these, uh, line, uh, graphs here with the 18 to 49 viewership live plus same day for all five programs. Yeah. It's just a line graph. That's just there right. for reference. We don't need to discuss it. Okay. All right. Uh, we can move on to live events. And uh, moving on to live events here, uh, as far as um, the past live events, we'll start with, uh, and uh, if, if you want to break that down, Brandon. Yeah, I should mention real quickly, too, uh, before we get to AEW and, and, uh, and WB, that New Japan had its resurgence show last, I believe last night, right? Yes, last night, yep. Uh, for what it's worth, we also had uh, Triple Mania. Ric Flair on Triple Ric Flair. Ric Flair giving Kenny Omega chops along with Andrade. But the New Japan resurgence in L.A., according to WrestleTick's uh, final count, tickets distributed 2,240 in Los Angeles. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, we're, obviously, the first... Uh, this is this is correct, right? This is the first attended New Japan show in the U.S. is since the pandemic, I think. Is that, does that sound right? Um, yeah, because they were just doing the New Japan Strong things closed set. Yeah. So that's, um, I don't know what context to put that in. That's probably pretty good for, for New Japan. Um, it's probably on par with what their lower level shows have been doing in the U.S. Uh, I mean, it's much bigger than a Corcoran crowd, Corcoran Hall show, which, which is just under 2,000. So there's that. Um, and just to double check on what I just said about the NXT quarters, uh, which I have not put out there, and I don't, and the Observer has not put them out there yet. But um, let me make sure what I said it was true. Show opened with six hundred and seventy three thousand viewers. It ended with seven hundred and fifty five for the overrun. The final quarter, uh, nine forty five to ten, had seven hundred nineteen. Uh, show peaked in the middle at nine at the top of the hour for with eight hundred and thirty nine thousand viewers. Um, is total, of course. That was also the peak for 1849 at 282. So, so it started under 700,000, uh, grew to nine o'clock, uh, fell a little bit toward the main event, and then, then the overrun, uh, was the third, third most viewed, fourth most viewed, uh, compared to the quarters. So there's that. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Live events. Uh, our chart's a little bit messed up here. I don't have dates on it, but, um, yeah, the, uh, so we don't have, unfortunately we don't have, uh, cities here. The, the Pittsburgh Dynamite did over 5,000, 5,015. The Rampage did, uh, 5,454. So the Rampage doing slightly better on a Friday night versus a Wednesday night Dynamite. Um, in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's gonna be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably gonna get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, and we have weekend a uh, house show. I believe this is Charlotte, 7,524. Pretty good for a house show. Uh, SmackDown. Where was SmackDown on Friday Night Gold? Do you know? Uh, Tulsa. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. That's right. Uh, that did over 7,000. So the Super Show, the house show uh, in Charlotte, did, did better than the Tulsa SmackDown. And where was where was Raw on Monday? Uh, that I don't remember here. Uh, luckily, I've got my, my WrestleTix sheet open here, which might scroll and cooperate with me. Uh, the Raw was in San Antonio, Texas, and tickets out, 7,230. So I think we're getting into the... You know, I mean, San Antonio is a pretty big market, at least as far as population goes. Uh, I'm not sure about its its what its heat is like as far as a, a WWE market, but that's a pretty big market uh, in terms of the population. And that's it. This, uh, this, this past eight. weekend, yes. oh, so this past weekend was the last night was the Charlotte House Show, where Becky Lynch or not Becky Lynch, I'm sorry, uh, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks were not there due to unforeseen circumstances. What that means? Yeah, no idea. Uh, Brody, I know New Japan Pro Wrestling had a similar thing of Brody King too, but yeah, that that uh, who knows what it means? But it leads one to think uh, COVID, COVID contact or something. Um, yes, I had my first COVID test uh, in, in anticipation of this uh, this traveling that I that I've done here, and I tested negative. I am uh, I will reassure everyone who's come in contact with me. They'll be, they'll be reassured to know that I do not have COVID. Um, Good. So, yeah. It's your first one. Yeah, I, I mean, I just never had to be tested, I guess. I never came in contact with anyone who I know of who had COVID. Uh, yeah. You've had, you've had COVID tests? 
twice. Uh, one uh, to attend the Buffalo Bills playoff game last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was very, very brief, and they didn't seem to really put the swab up much on the nose. So not a very um, high-quality COVID test. Was I don't little, think so. Was it a rapid test? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. They, they, well, they let you know on, like, I think the next day or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was a rapid test. And then I did another um, rapid test when uh, somebody I knew, like, tested positive for COVID. But I was fine, negative on that as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I went through a drive through at a Rite Aid, and they gave me a Q-tip. Uh, Q-tip is, I use that loosely. They gave me, like, a Q-tip with a really long cotton swab at the end. And they had me, like, rotated in each one of my nostrils. And I almost sneezed. And then you put it like back in this test tube that has some solution in it. And you cap it off and you give it back to them. Yeah. It took a few days to get the results. But yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm, I, uh, I've got on my spreadsheet here from WrestleTix that San Antonio did actually 7,230 out. Uh, so I will go with that. I think our, our chart is showing me something different. Um, so there's that. Um, upcoming events. It's really the, the same set of events as, as before. Right over 14000 for the United Center uh, on August 20th. That's com- this coming Friday in Chicago. We're at over 41000 tickets out for SummerSlam in Las Vegas, August 21st. Wow, that's really coming up. That's like uh, that's next weekend. Uh, Newark, New Jersey for AEW Dynamite, September 15th. Over 11000 tickets out. We're, we're just looking at ticket, uh, events that have more than 10,000 tickets out. WWE London which I believe is a raw taping, uh, September 20th, 14,645 tickets out. Uh, still over 1,000 tickets available for that. And AEW Dynamite in Flushing, New York. Maybe it's Queens. Still nobody's explained to me what the what the taxonomy is of Flushing, New York, and Queens in New York City. But anyway, September 22nd, which will be the most attended AEW live event ever, over 17,000 tickets out. So there's that. All right, so move on to some Triple H conversation. Yeah, I, I imagine we'll have something to talk about next week as uh, Triple H will probably have a conference call since we have a takeover coming up on Sunday, right? Because SummerSlam is Saturday, so we'll actually be able to talk on Sunday about SummerSlam that happened the day before next week. But uh, usually on the Thursday before a takeover, there is a Triple H, Paul Levesque, executive vice president of global strategy and talent development or whatever his title is these days, he will do a conference call with the wrestling media. And uh, I don't know if there's ever been more of an interesting time to have a media conference call with Triple H than this week. I mean, it's not, uh, I don't know that it's official. I've never been included in, in any of these these PR emails that they put out to, to give people the connection to, to participate. But um, it would be unprecedented if, if, there, if there was not a conference call uh, ahead of a, ahead of a takeover. So what do you think people are going to ask him, Chris Gullo? Well, they're going to ask him about the releases and really his decision and what's the direction in NXT going forward. Are they going to ask him about, so uh, what's uh, your relationship like these days with, um, with Vince McMahon? Well, yeah, the, uh, that could be asked because the rumor is he had no idea this was happening. <laughs> and uh, and how how uh, defensive will, will Paul Levesque get on this conference call? But uh, if we uh, jump ahead a few slides, which is, I probably should have reordered this. 
But the Wrestling Observer Newsletter this past week uh, reported that uh, even though they were NXT releases, it was Vince McMahon, Bruce Prichard, and John Laurinaitis who were the ones who decided who would be cut. Those in NXT said not, not that not only Paul Levesque, who runs NXT, nor Shawn Michaels have a say in the cuts, but they weren't even aware of them until after Laurinaitis started started calling talent to let them know that they were being let go. So, uh, according to the Observer... There's a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't you, why don't you uh, read or summarize uh, yeah. the rest of this? Just continue, you know, it led to real moral issues, morale issues uh, in NXT, a uh, division which has uh, not had that problem in the past. It's largely based on what was said to be a new company directive for the product and a behind-the-scenes power struggle, including those who fear for their positions if and when Levesque takes over and thus want to undermine him and those who support Levesque. Uh, since ultimately everything is Vince McMahon's decision, it was surprised since it's been considered a given that Levesque would be running the wrestling end and Nick Khan the business end if something happened to Vince McMahon. Uh, Levesque had been uh, thought to be untouchable, but in failing to stop AEW's rise and eventually losing the war, gave both uh, his detractors and those who felt he would replace him the obvious ammunition. The idea was if he was in control and in a fight and his vision for the product failed to attract younger viewers, partially, if not largely, because of going against AEW, NXT was the oldest skewing wrestling show among the major national shows. Within both the television and wrestling business, it was considered a given that with the WWE backing that it would eventually dominate Wednesday, and the opposite happened. Yeah. So, in the words of Nick Khan, a few things there. Uh, there's some real palace intrigue here. I can't imagine that uh, Triple H is, is, is pleased. And I imagine, I imagine if there's a conference call, he's going to downplay whatever's happening here and insinuate that the wrestling media and wrestling fans are just making too big of a deal about things like this, as always. Um, but the, the, he, he cannot be happy with what's going on here. Um, he's being undermined, and his, at a minimum, his power is, and influence is being undermined here. If this is true, that he didn't even know about the cuts, and not, not only wasn't he included in the decisions, but he didn't even know about the cuts until they were uh, actually being made. Um, so there's that. Uh, another thing, the idea that within WWE or within the industry, that, that uh, it was assumed that NXT would, you know, would almost certainly beat AEW. Uh, I mean, I, I think there were people who believed that. I I, I guess I didn't believe that. And I, I, would, I even think about... Uh, in, in your brief uh, stint in 2019, Chris Gullo, where we, we recorded at uh, Grapplers that one night, an episode of WrestleMonics, yeah. and we discussed, or maybe you came over to my place, but anyway, we discussed, you know, what would be, it was, it was be, you know, September 2019, and uh, NXT and, and AEW were about to start going head to head, and uh, we predicted, you know, by December or something like that, you know, a few months into the, into the competition, what would be the leading show, and I think we both predicted AEW. Um, but yeah, you can see how Vince might be losing some, some faith in Triple H in that he was, he was unable to, to overcome, at least in terms of total viewership and, uh, and the key demo viewership. He was unable to overcome a new startup promotion run by, uh, former members of the Death Valley Driver Video Review Board, uh, Coach Tony K and Mookie Ghana. So, uh, Yeah. You could see uh, Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn has always been sort of rumored to not uh, not not uh, be an ally of, of Triple H and vice versa. 
I believe Meltzer has said at one point that, you know, the day that, at least this was years ago, he said this, that the, he believed that the day that, that Triple H and Stephanie took over that, uh, that Kevin Dunn would be done away with or something. He would no longer be in the position that he's in where he is the executive producer and the, the chief of global TV. And in fact, he's, you know, probably gained even more power recently with the, the, the consolidation that W has done on a corporate level where they've consolidated their media group into their television division, uh, where he's become, you know, the, I think ultimately the, the supervisor of, uh, of two vision, two divisions. And we're really three. If you include the, the smaller W studios group, uh, those three divisions have been consolidated, uh, as, as, uh, new management recognized, uh, redundancy, um, in, in a lot of areas where they felt that there were many people doing the same job, uh, that, that needs to be consolidated into one position. And now Kevin Nunn is the ruler of them all. Um, but yeah, you can see it's, it sounds like, um, and Triple H can, can correct, correct us if we're wrong on Thursday, perhaps, but it sounds like, uh, there's, there's a lot of infighting and struggle for power within this company that, that is much wealthier and much more powerful and has much more name ID than AEW. There's an internal power struggle to some degree that, that you could see how, you know, a Kevin Dunn who has more of a, um, you know, main roster Vince McMahon view of the business, how he would feel threatened by, by first of all, somebody who doesn't appear to be his ally and maybe appears to be his enemy like Paul Levesque and may not be, you know, incentivized to see NXT succeed and may be incentivized to see the leadership of NXT, you know, not do well or to undermine them. Um, so yeah, the, the more that I see things like this and the more that I see talent, not valued, and we, we've, you know, as we talked about last week, there's been over 100 wrestlers cut uh, since 2020. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Todd Martin was bringing up the, uh, you know, as an example, Bronson Reed uh, is somebody who was, you know, when he was Jonah Rock on the Indies, somebody who was, somebody who had a lot of potential, uh, pretty young, but hadn't really produced a huge name yet. He was starting to gather a name, but WWE signed him. And now, you know, he spent however long he's been in WWE, a year or more, uh, and, and now he's got a bigger name. He was a North American champion. He was a pretty pushed wrestler on, on national TV, on the USA Network, for whatever it's worth, with their smaller viewership. But but there's somebody who was pushed on TV. And then they just cut him loose. And, uh, you know, they, they've sort of built somebody up that some other player, maybe AEW, but maybe others, could sign. And it, it, it heats somebody up for somebody else to uh, to do something with. That's one small drop in a bucket. But, but uh, you know, W doesn't believe they're in the wrestling business, and at least... Publicly facing doesn't believe that they're really competing with with other wrestling companies who are beneath them, uh, and it just uh, you know the, the the longer that this goes on, you know if Vince stays healthy enough for long enough, uh, he's going to continue to drain this company of its brand value, and uh, it it all it all hinges on on the the future of their media rights values, and the future of their media rights values all hinges on a number of factors, including their viewership, including their ad rates, including their ability to uh, be successful with certain synergies, like drawing um, drawing viewership to other programs like Ms. and Mrs. or others, um, and just what the, the media executives believe about the future uh, of, of W's brand. Um, I don't know, the media executives are, are very much in touch, though, which which plays into their favor. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get a little bit less optimistic and a little bit more pessimistic every week that that w is eventually especially if Vince McMahon stays healthy and in power for uh, many years to come that 
WWE's, you know, huge leadership in, in the wrestling space is going to grow smaller over time. And maybe eventually in the U.S., AEW is going to become the more popular wrestling brand. And we, we may just be, be seeing the beginning of this. Uh, we'll see what the number is when the number comes out on Monday for Rampage to see to what extent does AEW have a second brand here, TV brand, to grow. Because that is, that is the, a huge growth question for their business. Um, do they have supportive programming here, or do they actually have another brand that is similar in value to Dynamite? Uh, do they have a, a brand that right now at 10 could do similar viewership to, to Dynamite? Do they have that or do they have something that's doing half of that? That's a big question. Um, is Dynamite something that eventually gets put into a better time slot? Maybe earlier on Friday and Lord knows what will happen then. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I think about how too, W just keeps cutting talent. And if I were, Tony Khan or AW, it's like, it's like more talent than I can handle right now. Like if you keep putting free agents out here that like, I don't have the capacity for these people yet. And it makes the notion of another two hour show seem more palatable. If there's all of this talent that you have to give time to, um, I don't, don't, don't tell me that the YouTube shows dark and dark elevation are enough. They're not, they're just YouTube shows that are nice for generating some YouTube revenue and, Really, their larger value is in talent development and giving people reps who don't have the old house show system beneath them. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's their developmental. That's, I mean, that's really what Dark and Dark Elevation is for the most yeah. part. And it's, and it's probably a more cost-effective and more sensible developmental. We could you know, go on here about how the, – the, who knows? And we don't know what the real cost of the, the performance center is, but it's millions. It's millions per year um, to have the output that they've had. Uh, when, when the Indies with, you know, I, th I think about grapplers, we got pennies on the dollar in, in terms of our spending compared to what, uh, what the, uh, what, what the performance center has, has put out. And, uh, you know, I think we've put out some good wrestlers over the last few years with literally, you know, I mean, a, a, a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the, of the, the expense and, and, uh, and name ID and influence, uh, and money. So. Yeah, I th I think uh, the the way that AEW is doing developmental in terms of just having this dark and dark elevation, uh, giving people reps and bringing people in and seeing if you want to work with them in the future and seeing how they do in your environment at a, at a, in, a in a pretty low risk way, as opposed to like signing somebody or not or doing a tryout, you know, one time with somebody and deciding whether you want to sign them and, and enter into a long term relationship with this person or not. Um, doing dark and dark elevation probably is just a more sensible way of doing things. Will we ever see AW or WWE do something like Dark and Dark Elevation? Will it actually put people who are not under the contract and under exclusive contract to them on their media platforms? I doubt it because WWE there's you know, there's I think there's a, there's some arrogance in this idea that we don't want to put somebody who's, who we don't have control over onto our media platforms and give them the rub um of, of being on our media platforms and building their name up and then somebody else could, you know, pick them up. Uh which sort of flies in the face of this idea that you, you would build somebody up like Bronson Reed and then just cut them loose or Mercedes Martinez and have them on TV, have her on TV all this time and then just cut her loose, you know? Uh, but anyway, yeah. And so you, you talk about all this talent, right? And you know, some of the, the questions that are being asked out there, if not only would triple H ever leave, but if he did what he started as a wrestling company before you give your perspective, Brandon, I only could really see him truly leaving if Stephanie didn't. I think that would be if 
Vince passes away or they sell the company. Yeah. Have and you have you seen uh, Succession on HBO? No. Yeah, I would recommend it. And, and, and think about okay. the McMahon family while you watch it. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, would Triple H, would Paul Levesque ever leave WWE? God. This is a man who's been with WWE since 1995. He's been with WWE longer than some of the people who are listening to this program right now. Uh, longer than some of the people who are listening to this program have been alive. Um, yeah. And, and, and there's there's the Stephanie factor as well, right? Like, if they were to get to... I, I really wonder what, what, like, the what their conversations are like. As I've said also elsewhere, I hope Paul Levesque writes a, an honest book someday. It would be so interesting. You know, His memoirs. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, it, Stephanie's not going to leave this company. Stephanie's not going to leave Dad. And uh, I don't see them getting divorced or something like that. Who knows? That's, I have no idea. I, I highly doubt that, you know. Uh, but it, but it's it, it's going to be. What are you going to do if you're Paul Levesque? If, if if is is there some way that he's going to redeem himself on the corporate level, uh, in, in in time maybe? And uh, and, and I don't know. If, if Vince were to die tomorrow, who would be in charge of, of creative? Maybe it would be Paul Levesque. Uh, maybe it would be Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> I guess it would ultimately be. I don't know whose decision that would ultimately be. I don't know if that would be Nick Khan's decision or whether. You know that's in his world. That will be in his will. Who's that? <laughs> I bestow the head of creative upon. <laughs> Yeah, like. uh, who knows? It, we 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 were, we would just be helpless to speculate. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it it's usually the case though. If we think about the typical situation when you're in a job and uh, you got promoted and promoted and promoted, and you were doing really well, and now now the the project that you were working on for a long time had a perceived failure, and uh, now people are making decisions that are really important to to your project without you even knowing about it. In, in a typical situation at a, at a job, you would probably not be long for that company. And in, and if you're at a high enough level, there's probably other companies that would, you know, that you could offer your services to. But then again, this is pro wrestling. And I, oh, God, I know you're in the media business. But what, where else is Paul Levesque going to work? You know, it's, I, he's, he's a pro wrestling guy. Yeah, it's not like Stephanie where I feel, and I've said this before on the show, that I feel like Stephanie, you could plug her in other companies other non-wrestling sure. companies like yeah, a sure. you know a media company or something like that yeah. but triple triple h i mean it it would just be wrestling like if he ever did leave you know does he start his own company does he partner with someone partner with another resource with a lot of money you know maybe another billionaire and they put something together so it, it, he, he would be foolish to do it with anything other than somebody who has a lot of experience dealing with sports and media properties i mean Somebody like Mark Cuban, we're just pulling a name out of the sky. Somebody like Mark Cuban makes sense. Um, the 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 credibility and experience of 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 TNA and people who have been involved with TNA in, in the past not good enough. That that's not going to go anywhere. I think we'd be foolish to invest in something like that. Um, on the other hand, sort of a little bit separate from this, we have seen Shane McMahon, who seems to be an, an heir to this company, leave in, in 2010. And uh, so it's not unprecedented that somebody who's uh, a very close member of the McMahon family to just, you know, be a, to go from being a, a high level executive to being out of the company and never, never come back. Now, of course, Shane never got involved in the wrestling business and Shane, Shane at least had ambitions and he tried to get involved in, in uh, media distribution in China, uh, 
which doesn't seem to have gone well. And now he's, uh, and now he's got a, just recently he was announced to be, I think, some sort of EVP of Ideonomics, which no one can quite explain to me what they do. But, <laughs> but I don't see Paul Levesque doing that, doing things like that, you know? Um, and if anybody's wondering, no, Stephanie and, and, and Triple H do not have the, the shares to, to pr- perform a hostile takeover of Vince. Vince has 80% of the voting power. And, and Stephanie has a lot, too. She has something like 5% of the voting power, which is more than anybody else. I think that's more than even Winsdell Train, who's their biggest uh, institutional investor. But uh, no. Vince has the overwhelming majority of the voting power. And Vince, unless he sells a lot more of his shares, is never, never at risk of a hostile takeover. All right. Uh, moving on uh, to a little bit of AEW news, where uh, we have a debut date for Roads to the Top. The reality mm-hmm. show going, making a deep dive in the lives of Cody and Brandy Rhodes. It's going to debut September 29th on TNT after Dynamite. So much like Miz, uh, Miz and Mrs., you know, getting that lead out from, well, the lead in from a, ro- a wrestling program. So, Right. This is sort of something that I mentioned a moment ago about part of the value of a wrestling show is how well that wrestling show or any show is able to promote viewership of other shows is able to gather more viewership for that network or for that family of networks. And uh, Raw has helped to do that for Ms. and Mrs., which has done well in its most recent season. And uh, AEW will try to do that for TNT by adding this reality show uh, on Cody and Brandy, which starts uh, a little over a month. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to get the lead in from Dynamite. So we will, we will see the ratings for that too. And we will, we will be watching closely. Um, speaking of wrestling uh, themed programming, Heels, uh, which will be debuting on the Stars Network tonight, but it's actually available on the Stars app uh, as of midnight last night. Well, midnight today, um, so you could actually watch it on the Stars app before it actually premieres. But yeah, Heels uh, premieres tonight, and that is the drama series about uh, two brothers pretty much running an independent wrestling promotion that their father owned. Uh, you know, and Stephen Amell stars in it. So. I haven't given a lot of thought to heels, but but it's worth mentioning that there's um, and stars. I was thinking about who, who owns stars. But stars is owned by Lionsgate, which is not part of some larger media conglomerate like uh, like Warner Media or MBCU. Um, so it's not like it's not like this is another synergy for AEW to 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 drive more viewership to the Warner Media universe uh, by by including CM Punk. So CM Punk has some sort of small role in in this heels show. Um, but it's not, it's not a benefit, I don't think, to, uh, to Warner Media, unless, uh, stars buy some ad time, uh, during AEW programs or something. And, uh, I, I believe I did see an, and I could be wrong. I saw an ad for it this week in some wrestling program. I just can't remember which one it was, okay. uh, moving on to, uh, CM Punk. Uh, so, uh. We we have uh, an interview. CM Punk did pretty much promoting heels, mm-hmm. and and uh, you have the quotes here. So you want me to start with the one? Was that quote? Yeah, he did an interview with Jason Agnew of, uh, in my memory, live audio wrestling fame, uh, and who asked CM Punk about uh, whether he he was going to be at the United Center for AEW's Rampage show this this coming Friday. So he says, when was that, Punk said? Let me look at my calendar. When when did you say it was? The 20th? 
think I actually might be doing a screening. This isn't confirmed yet, so I probably shouldn't blast this out, out everywhere. But we're talking about doing a screening of the episode three of Heels at an AMC in Chicago. And that was one of the dates that had been proposed. So hope to see everyone there. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to be there. Uh, or he's, you know, he's, he's playing coy. And then uh, Tony Khan was on his favorite wrestling podcast, Busted Open Radio again this week, uh, where he said this. Furthermore, we'll hear a little bit about what's coming on Rampage. Uh, it's going to be a huge card, and tonight we'll establish more of what's coming on the premiere of Rampage. Of course, I think everyone knows what to expect on the second episode of Rampage, which is titled The First Dance, and I expect the anticipation will continue to build. Yes. So everyone knows what to expect was the... Uh, the phrase that people focused on there as if everyone knows what to, ex everyone knows to expect CM Punk sort of the, uh, the unsaid, uh, thing there. So I, w I would be shocked if CM Punk is not on the show. It would be a, a huge detriment to their brand. If CM Punk, if, if they go off the air at 11 o'clock and CM Punk has not appeared on screen. Uh, but I, I would bet a lot of money that he's going to be there. Uh, you know, and he's going to uh, do, do who knows what, uh, it was asked of me on the uh, the TV ratings talk this past Thursday. What quarter, what segment, where would you place the CM Punk debut? I will ask you that, Chris Golo. If you were in charge, if you had to pick where on the show, where on Rampage, what, what quarter would you put CM Punk's debut on? So, honestly, I would finish with it to keep, keep a high-rated audience throughout the show. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. If you put him on first, people will tune out afterward. Uh, so I would put him on at the very end. So, I think that's all. What, 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 what are we at here in terms of a time? We're at 107. We've been going a little bit over an hour uh, lately, more, more like an hour 20. So now I have some questions for you, and we will now play. Are you, are you ready, Chris Gullo, to play? <laughs> I am ready. That we call WrestleNomics Jeopardy. So we have a few questions here. Uh, first, ding. AEW's new TV partner in India, Eurosport, is owned by this parent company that will soon become the parent of Warner Media. What is Discovery? Discovery is the correct answer. Next, WWE returns value to its shareholders every quarter through a dividend, but in Q2, the company also spent $18.8 .8 million in effort to increase the stock price by doing this. What is a stock buyback? Oh, very good. Next clue. In January, WWE gave financial guidance, projecting the company will generate two hundred and seventeen or I'm sorry, two hundred and seventy million dollars to three hundred million dollars in this WWE's favorite non gap profit measure. Uh T oh, V rates deal, I I think I got this wrong. Right that is incorrect. The correct answer, I'm sorry, the correct question, right? Anyway, the correct response what is, is what is adjusted OIDA? Adjusted oh, OIDA. They do like saying that word a lot. Was the response we were looking for. Next, according to Nick Khan, viewership for this event increased 46% compared to the event of the same name in the prior year. Uh, was that. I want to say I feel like it was not this quarter so it wasn't the money in the bank it has to be backlash that is incorrect the correct response is what is money in the bank 
Okay, so that, that, I I just couldn't remember if it was a, a quarter two or a quarter so three. Because the backlash and Hell in a Cell had twenty some odd percent increases, and Money in the Bank had a forty some odd percent increase. Next, among those who had more than a few matches in 2021, this WWE superstar has had the highest Google web search volume in each month year to date. John Cena? More than a few matches in 2021. More than a few. Oh, so Roman Reigns? Roman Reigns is the correct response. Final question. Answer, I mean. In July, WWE and Bloomhouse Television announced a new limited scripted series is in the works. The series is going by this title. Vince McMahon versus the United States of America. That is correct. <laughs> there we go. We've checked your reading comprehension. You performed admirably. You missed, let's see here. I, I gave you one. Two, I missed a couple, three, yeah. Four, I, missed, I missed Money in five, the Bank. And... Six. Uh, and you got how many correct here? One, two. I was impressed with Stock Buyback Program. Well done. One, I two, missed Adjusted Beat a but I see I can't say it right. Yes. We sort of gave you, I gave you a hint with the uh, the Roman Reigns school website. Yes. So. I read that wrong, so. Yes. So th- that is, that is, I think, all. Uh, I did a TV ratings talk on Thursday. I, uh, I think the response will be such that I should almost do it on Monday, but I just, there probably will be no feasible way. But uh, maybe I'll do another one this Thursday. You can uh, get a, get that content by going to WrestleNomics YouTube channel. Just, uh, I don't know, search for WrestleNomics YouTube or search for WrestleNomics in YouTube. You know, YouTube is, I think, the third most used search engine uh, in the world. Do you know what the second most used search engine is in the world, Chris Colo? Wow. Uh, would it hmm. Would it be Facebook? Because you could search it on Facebook. No, the correct response is Amazon. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Or I don't know if it's the third, but I, but but the three are obviously Google would be number one. But I think at then it's YouTube and, and Amazon. Um, yeah. But yeah. Maybe I'll do a, a a live TV ratings discussion on Thursday. Look for ratings that will come out on Monday that are for Friday for Rampage and SmackDown. Uh, we will we will put to rest the controversy about what the real SmackDown rating is, and uh, we will we will be accepting apologies for. Uh, some uh, some some nasty comments from 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 teenagers on on Twitter, um, but yeah, go ahead. You got plugs, Chris Gullo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just me in general, uh, Chris Gullo on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, no bookings for the rest of the month, so just uh, kind of taking it easy, getting caught up on some stuff, enjoying life a little bit. <laughs> um, but, uh, we do, we are recording our newest episode of Rediscovering the Indies, which you can find on RTI Pod on Twitter, Rediscovering Indies on Facebook and Instagram. We're uh, recording our new episode this Saturday, and it's, we're going to discuss the NWA title from the end of the partnership to TNA to the purchase of Billy Corrigan. So re- get into some Bruce Tharp goodness. Uh, and it's an interesting story. And how he had, how he had the NWA Houston f- footage and all all this good stuff uh, and and uh, members were dropping like flies and <laughs> there's just a lot a lot uh, a lot going on in the Bruce Sharp era so we're gonna dig, dive deep in and it's our one year anniversary rediscovering Indies oh, wow. as our first episode was the NWA title from from '94 to 2002 so '94 hmm. to 2002 so you covered like the Steve Carino and uh, Mike Rapata we, we covered. 
the day it was taken off of WCW television and now wow. no longer affiliated with WCW, oh. up until the day it was on TNA television. Credits. Uh, our co-host and executive producer is me. Our co-host, you have a new title, Crystal. The Vice President of Content Distribution. That sounds pretty pretty corporate it's, it's, and good, it right? Sounds very nice, yeah. That sounds good. The, the Vice President of Content Distribution and co-host of this program is Chris Gull. Our WrestleNomics.com contributor is Jason Unpreser. Our technical consultant is Phil Chertok. Our creator and founder is Chris Gull. And we are a member of the Voices of Wrestling. It's Chris Harrington, yeah. not Chris Gull. <laughs> our creator is Chris Harrington, one Mookie Ghana, and our you are a member of the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm Brandon Thurston. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics. Go to WrestleNomics.com for WrestleNomics things. Uh, yeah. I'm Brandon Thurston. I'm Chris Gello. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.